Hello and welcome to Perhaps It's You, an unofficial fan rewatch podcast of the classic television series Unsolved Mysteries. If you're following along, we're on Season 1, Episode 7 of the Amazon Prime original Robert Stack episodes. I'm Samantha and I'm here with Liz. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> that is you. Why did I say that so weird? Hello. It's been a tiring week. We'd, we've done a lot this we've week. We've done a lot of fun stuff, but now I'm worn out. Yeah, same. Earlier in the week, we went to at the, is it just the, is it literally the Science called? Museum of Minnesota. Okay. Mm-hmm. Literally just called the Science Museum. Got it. <laughs> yep. We went to an event called Murder at the Museum. Yeah, they have a social sciences program that's for adults only that they do about once a month. And this month was forensic science, which obviously we had to go to. It was really fun. It was sort of like a murder mystery dinner, but... At the museum. At the museum. They had little different stations to get clues. Samantha was disappointed by the lack of gore. But, yeah. <laughs> I was looking for some some more blood. <laughs> it was more... I found it. They had about... They had, like, two forensic science tables with actual forensic scientists. Yeah. Samantha goes up to this guy whose job <laughs> is to look at maggots all day. He's a forensic entomologist. Yep. And she was like, oh, finally, this is what I've been looking for. And, I, he, and he's like very confidently like, well, if you're not too squeamish, you can look in this. And she was like tearing it open like, yes, they had dead a bodies. <laughs> These people, I think it was for the University of Minnesota, have like a pig body farm where they dis, they study insect maggot effects on decomposition. So yeah. they can use, he, just, he explained to me that they can use the amount of maggots and the life cycles of the maggots to determine how long the body has, how long that person's been dead, which is super fascinating. And he had, they had this binder and I'm like waiting for this to get murdery, right? This whole night. And he has this binder. He's like, well, if you're not too squeamish, you can look in here. I just throw it open to the picture of the human dead body. And I turn to Liz and I go, this is what I came for. And I think I kind of creeped this guy out. Yeah, this guy who looks at maggots all day was like, uh, I don't know about this girl. I asked if I could volunteer. And he was like, well, you can maybe talk to that lady over there. (laughs) And they were basically like, no. So I'm very Minnesota, like, no, you can't. I knew it was time to leave. But it was was a really fun (laughs) event. It was 21 plus. So there was a alcohol it was fun yeah then we went on a ghost tour on friday the 13th in st paul yes with our favorite tour guide dangerous linda took us on a ghost tour of st paul it was really it was a really good one if you're in the twin cities i would highly recommend the st paul ghost tour get in before actually uh, i think they're sold out the rest of the year but they start up next year again yeah highly recommend it it was a good time um, saw some some spooky spooky some, locales. Yeah, learned some things about St. Paul, mm-hmm. or as I like to call it, Pig Eye. Pig's Eye. Pig's Eye. St. <laughs> sure. Paul was originally called Pig's Eye, which so. is a great name for a city. <laughs> and apparently, Pig's Eye, the dude that it was named after, is haunting. Is Saint haunting Paul it? Still. Which, of course, of course. Yeah, that was fun. Some fun spooky events for for. We're October. really trying to make the most of our October lives mm-hmm. since. People only seem to host things we're interested in this month. <laughs> Imagine it's like that. we would do it any time of year, right. but people think you need Halloween in order to do spooky stuff. To do spooky stuff, so we're we're cramming a lot in. Mm-hmm. We might be a little worn out now. I'm a little tired, but do you have any updates? I only have a minor update. Okay, which was that previously I had recommended the Coven Witch yeah. in Portland, mm-hmm. and we had talked about how cool it would be if there was one here. Mm-hmm. In Minneapolis. It turns out there is. Yeah, the, the Instagram. We found it. Yes. For the Minneapolis witch chapter. If you go to witchmpls, 
which stands for Minneapolis, if you don't know. Uh, that is their Instagram page. Uh, They're having a Halloween party. Oh, my God. Not on Halloween, I don't think, but the weekend before. And it's there's, it's a fundraiser for an organization that helps, um, home. I think, homeless trans and youth. I'm not entirely sure. It's a really good organization. I posted it on our Instagram page. So oh, awesome. Go follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where at Perhaps It's You. I reposted... Um, I'm sure I got that that detail wrong, but they're having, it's at a a bar and it's a Halloween fundraiser. There's a costume contest. It sounds like it's going to be a a good time. So check it out. I think it's the weekend before Halloween. Yeah. I guess you would describe them as like a political action group that, that dresses like witches. Which is amazing. I mean, everything about it is great. So we didn't get the honor of founding the Minneapolis chapter, but they are out there. Uh, and that inspires me. Let me get lovely. this right. So okay. the the program that they're raising money for at their Halloween party, which, by the way, is Monday, October 30th from 7 to 11. And it's at, shoot, I don't know where it's at, but you can go to our, our Instagram to check it out. They got karaoke, a healing ritual, a costume contest, fortune tellers, and all proceeds go to Exchange Minneapolis, the Exchange Minneapolis, which is a queer community safe space that provides crucial resources like a food shelf, Needle Exchange Program and Shock Clinics to Queer and Trans Folk. Awesome. That's what they said on their Instagram page. So yeah, go check it out. It sounds like it's going to be a fun time. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. That's really my only update. Did you have any updates? Yes, I do. So first of all, we didn't rate the episode last time. Oh my God, yeah, you're right. On Robert's Dax. It just kind of slipped like our, our mind. Thing. Right, yeah. like the thing we do. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably because we were a little oh, meh about that episode. Yeah, I guess I would, I don't know. We can combine it. With today, since there's a to be continued in your mystery, maybe, and rate them both at the end. Okay. That sounds that. good. The other thing I wanted to say is I gave a little bit of misinformation about challenge coins in our last episode. Oh, okay. So, first of all... I thought you were a challenge coin expert, Samantha. I know. I'm I listened to one podcast about them. <laughs> not an expert. But... Um, first of all, the podcast, if you're interested in hearing a really great podcast about challenge coins, is 99% Invisible. Okay. I said MPR, which is also not even correct, because that's Minnesota Public Radio. I meant to say NPR, which is National Public Radio. I always get those mixed up, but it's not in either one of those. It's on 99% Invisible. <laughs> um, and the challenge coin did start in the military, so we were okay. right about that. And then people do do drinking games with them, but there's variations The gist of the main drinking game is that everyone is supposed to carry their challenge coin with them at all times. So if you're in a bar with your buddies, you yell coin check. And then everyone has to produce their coin. Mm -hmm. And whoever doesn't have their coin has to buy the round of drinks. Okay. But if everyone has their coin, the person who called the coin check has to do it. Oh. So I just wanted to give that little factoid. The podcast is super interesting. Go listen to it if you want to know more. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that we picked giveaway winners, so check your yeah. your private messages on Facebook and your your private messages on Instagram. We did have three people enter on Instagram, so all of you are winners. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you for entering our giveaway. We will ask you for your address and we'll send you your, uh, your dad joke magnets. Thank awesome. you very much. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. And thanks to everyone who's reviewed us and rated us on iTunes. We really appreciate that. Yeah. It's like a warm hug. It's yeah, I love I love watching. What <laughs> am I even saying? I love reading them. I love watching them. Uh, we send them to each other when a new review comes in. So really, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great to to see get that good feedback. We really appreciate it. Um, are you ready? Yeah, I, I suppose I. Yeah, no, I'm ready. <laughs> Did you have something you wanted to no. say? I know you have to do Son of Sam. I have again. to do Son of Sam again, so and I feel sorry, like I should Liz. clarify some things I said about Son of Sam last time. But I can just do that when we 
When we do Son of Sam Sounds part good. two. We have, there's four mysteries in this episode, so we better get started. Yeah, okay. So the first mystery is a paranormal one. It is the... Did they stop categorizing these? Yeah, I didn't I was see. trying to figure out, because in the past episodes we've watched, it would be like a category missing person, category unexplained yeah. death, and they didn't give these ones categories. No, I didn't see one for this, so I'm just going to call it, make it an ourselves. unexplained paranormal thing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know what else to call it. It's a haunting. Yep. This is from Marin, Pennsylvania, the General Wayne Inn which was the oldest continual functional inn in the United States. Super old dead people like Ben Franklin and George Washington, known slave owners, they stayed there. <laughs> they stayed there. And Edgar Allan Poe, right? He wrote yes. part of The Raven there. They Noted said. drunk Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> he stayed there and wrote, which is pretty cool that he wrote part of The Raven there. Yeah. It's haunted. I mean, uh, with a, with a oh, an inn that old. Of course it's haunted. Of course it's haunted. This one seemed quite believable to me. Um, the, some of the examples they had were kind of silly, but <laughs> that doesn't mean that I, that, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like, I have written down towels thrown on the floor, adding machine problems. These were like examples of the ghosts, <laughs> adding machine problems. Sometimes the TV, our old junky TVs don't work. I was like, okay. <laughs> But um, clearly a sign of ghosts. There was a story about a valet who walked out to the parking lot in a locked car. The lights turned on and the windshield wipers started going. They talked a lot to one manager who was very like amused by the ghost. He loved the ghost experiences. <laughs> he wrote, I enjoy these ghosts. They don't bother me at all. I think that they come up with some clever little things. Like the the bar one? That yeah. wasn't my favorite reenactment. Yeah, so the the ghosts sort of harass ladies at the bar by blowing on the back of their necks, apparently. So they would go down the bar blowing on each woman's neck, and then they would like turn to whatever dude they were with and be like, knock it off, or did you do that? But he was saying that if it started at one end of the bar, he knew it was going to go all the way down, because that's... Something the ghosts mischievous ghost kind of funny. The reenactment was kind of funny, except for his creepy smile behind the bar, because they showed this this guy they were interviewing <laughs> behind the bar just watching all these ladies on the bar get upset, and he just had this kind of creepy smile on his face. Yeah, I, he likes. He was upset. thoroughly enjoying. He it. likes upset ladies. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, there was a maitre d who was closing up the restaurant and saw a severed head. Sitting on a thing, just a the the you have. I to take post. back what I said before. That was my favorite reenactment. Yeah, you have to post a screenshot of this reenactment <laughs> of just like a ghost head sitting on I don't know, a table or something. Uh-huh. It's just like bleh, just a head, some, and then like, some great special effects. He's like, on I that didn't one. really think about it at first, but then I started screaming, "I saw a head! I saw a head!" <laughs> Which apparently, that when I did a little bit more research, that's like a reoccurring. Apparition oh, really? is the, the, head? the head. Creepy. Okay. Could you, if I would never work there again, I would immediately quit. <laughs> the other reoccurring apparition is a full body apparition of a soldier mm-hmm. who's in a green uniform that's very old, like a hundred years old. And they talked to one woman that had seen him on the stairs and then he vanished. He was most frequently seen in the basement. Do you think when people see him, there's actually a super creepy fog behind him, and I hope he's lit so. from above, I like hope they did so. in the reenactment? 
Um, so that is actually an apparition that there's been multiple sightings of. And that the first one was from 1848. There is a recorded sighting wow. of that ghost during an election. The woman went downstairs to get more ballots and was like, why is there this soldier in the basement? And they were like, uh, there isn't. <laughs> so that's kind of an, an unusual case to have. Right, ghost sightings going back for so long. That's of long one before ghost. ghosts kind of became a thing in our culture, right? Where I don't know. It's kind of like the UFO thing, where like there's a flurry of UFOs in like one specific era, right? Sightings, and it's like there's not much before then because it just wasn't in. I mean, it's it's whether or not you believe other people have seen that soldier, not knowing that story, because they sort of they had an expert like go back and research it and find like, oh, other people have seen this soldier too. So. Is that a coincidence that people keep seeing a soldier in a green uniform? It's kind of an interesting one. The psychic that they brought in. This is a lot like the Queen Mary segment where they brought I in psychics. I think that psychic is accent oh. is fake. <laughs> so I. So she was full of shit. Basically. I, yeah. We're pretty sure. And she was like, oh, the soldier seems like he was left behind. Well, okay. I looked into this. There have been multiple murders at the inn. They date back to the Revolutionary War. Apparently, Patriot soldiers killed and burned a Hessian soldier and buried his remains in the cellar. So that is the supposed origin story of this ghost. It's not a soldier that got left behind. It's a soldier that (laughs) was... Like the psychic said. Yeah, it's a soldier that was brutally murdered. I don't know. I think she was just, like, making making shit up. Yeah, I was not impressed with her at all. There was another story about how there was a Halloween report on TV and all these locals like gathered in a bar to watch it and then the TV started acting weird and it never did it again. The picture on the TV flipped upside down. Yeah, and then like sort it of turned like turned slowly and then sort of fell off and yeah. It's very strange. I mean, that's an unusual way for a TV to act up, but it did look like a super shitty old TV, <laughs> even for the time. So yeah, I don't I, know. The reenactment was funny, where that kind of look. You saw all the bar patrons like leaning to the side, so they could all see the TV. I mean, sometimes electronics act weird, so yeah. that's never going to be proof to me. Um, actually, right. this is just a a weird aside, but if you have fibromyalgia. That can interfere with electronics. Oh, really? Yes, which I know because my mom has fibromyalgia, and forever we were like telling her she was cursed because electronics tend to not work while she's around, and that turns out to be is that like because of the sort of it's about your the electricity in your nerves or whatever. That's not a scientific statement I just made, but you understand what I'm saying. I can't explain why that's true, but that is a like that's fascinating. It's weird. And it makes total sense because a lot of times, like my mom is a teacher, she would like go into a classroom that is having a presentation and the electronic equipment will just stop working. And then as soon as she leaves, it works again. Just stuff like that. So the fact that a TV is acting weird, that doesn't, I would be more inclined to think there's fibromyalgia (laughs) at the bar than there is a ghost. Sure. Or a whole host of other things that could have made it go Yeah. I, I think the head, and which is the most hilarious reenactment ever, and the soldier is a much more interesting story. But the, right. the manager the car, guy. Even the car going off in the parking lot was kind of unusual. Yeah. It was locked, and it's like it kind of turned on by itself. Right. Which, I don't, how would that happen? I don't know. If a ghost was in it, Liz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I understand that the manager guy was kind of like a quirky character. And uh-huh. so even though he hadn't seen a ghost, he had seen these like little things happen. 
And he said, I don't believe in ghosts, but I know they're here. They've got no other place to go, and they might as well have a little fun. And that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, that's what we would do if we were ghosts. Oh, totally. I mean, it's such a creepy old building. I mean, I think it's a sort of place where you're going to expect to see a ghost. Yeah. But it's they're interesting stories. Can you still stay? I assume you can still stay there. All right. Like so it's still I, an operating I did inn? do a tiny. No, it's not. Oh, oh, bummer. I'm sorry. Which is, is a bummer because it had opened in 1704. Wow. It had been in that entire time under a few different names, but it closed in 2004. Mm. Also, it is connected to a more recent murder. Really? In 1996, the co-owner of the inn, James Webb, was found murdered in the third floor office by the other owner because the restaurant was failing and he needed money to pay back a loan to his dad, and so he killed him for the life insurance. Um, It was Guy Salio. Okay. Okay. Um, At some point, he got a new trial, but he was convicted again. He's actually used up all of his appeals. Um, It does seem like he's guilty of that, shooting his business partner, James Webb. Um, They were partners in the general Wayne Inn. It was failing, blah, blah, blah. And then in 1997, his girlfriend, Felicia Moise, I don't know. She was the assistant chef. She committed suicide. At the Um, inn? I don't know that it was at the inn, but people think that she might have been connected to the murder. Okay. I feel like that's a little bit of a stretch to read that into her suicide a year later, but... Mm -hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe she was like, oh, I was dating this murderer. That's not great. Or maybe it's completely unconnected. I don't know. But um, after those murders, it eventually closed in 2004. Hmm. It is now a synagogue. Oh. And the inside has been totally renovated. So the outside looks kind of the same, but the interior was gutted. It's kind of a bummer that you can't go there and stay the night and... Yeah, I mean, I have to say, it didn't look like it was in great shape. Right. Yeah, it didn't. So I'm not really that surprised that it failed as an in yeah. because I'm sure it would have taken a lot of money to fix up, which clearly they didn't have to invest in it. And I don't really know that I would have wanted to stay there except for the fact that it's supposedly haunted. Right. That would be the only reason. That would be the only reason because it looked like kind, it wasn't of, luxury. kind of looks like a dump, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is weird because... I don't know. Edgar Allan Poe stayed there. You would expect it to be like thriving. Kind of cool. Yeah. But it looks a little bit not really. not really great. And yeah, it ended up. What was with that woman who did the math? And like, like she was a psychic, like oh, yeah. skeptic. And she had like equations she would use Mo- to determine. Number generating. To determine if the psychic was real. I did not get that at no, all. No, I didn't get that at all. And. Unsolved Mysteries was kind of like, look at how cool this is. And I'm like, I don't understand. It did not explain what that process was. It, it was just like numbers. It also didn't explain if the psychic they brought in, if they used the equation to figure out if she no, was it legit. it explained nothing. It really was just sort of plopped in there. <laughs> they were like, look at this expert about num- on numbers who researches psychics somehow. I didn't get it. Yeah. I was wondering if you got it. But. No, I didn't get it. I don't think they explained it very well. And maybe they like edited it down to the point where... It was nonsense. No one cares about this, so. Yeah. I don't even, yeah, I don't know what to do with that information because it's just, like, <laughs> nonsense. It was a long segment. It was very much like the Queen Mary one. I mean, yeah, I guess if you got, like, a good haunting, you kind of want to... Milk it. Milk it, despite the fact that the reenactment of that head is the stupidest the thing I've ever seen in my life. 
Or it really clearly like, was bleh. just some guy with his head poking out of a box. Oh, totally. Yes. With his, yes. you know, he has his tongue sticking out. It's like out, if you're like seeing dead. a play and someone lifts off that silver <laughs> thing, you know, like rich people supposedly have on their food and then there's a head under it, but it's clearly just someone sit. Yeah, it was like that. <laughs> Only they kind of made it look a little like transparent. Yeah. The editing. It was dumb, but it was, it was also dumb. hilarious. Also, the guy who's an actor whose head they used. Just, like, looked too contemporary. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Like, he didn't have, like, an old-time ghost look. Or, like, an old hat or anything. Yeah. It was just, like, it was just, like a balding, this is, normal dude. This is Gary, the, yeah. the actor we got to play this. Or this is just, like, some the boom mic operator who was here <laughs> anyway. I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't too impressed. <laughs> well, I was impressed in that the reenactment was amazing, but it's also horrible. This place looked like it was legitimately haunted. I mean, it's a good story, certainly about the soldier and that people had been seeing that same ghost for so long. Mm-hmm. It does make sense that if he was murdered and then buried in the basement of the inn, that people would keep seeing him in the cellar of the inn. Yep. I keep comparing this one to the Queen Mary because the Queen Mary I found a lot more suspect. Yeah. This one had some convincing eyewitnesses, some convincing evidence, mixed in with some not so convincing, but it seemed I'm- haunted as fuck to me. I think. I was thankful that the segment with the charlatan psychic was much shorter than in the Queen Mary. They only brought in one instead of five. Yeah. So that was nice. Thank goodness for that. I am worried about that ghost. If they renovated the building, what happened to the ghost? I guess I assume it's still there because it's still the same shell of the building, perhaps. I wonder if. So, something we've learned from our ghost tours with Dangerous Linda is that spirits shouldn't be here. That's they true. need to move over to the other side of the veil. Yep. So I wish someone had found a way to let this. Maybe they did before they renovated it. Who knows? Who knows? Um, no, you need to help the spirits pass on because they, according to Dangerous Linda, well, they think they're happier here, but they're really they're really or they're wrong. scared to move to the other side. Yeah. Or they're confused, and I feel bad that this murdered soldier was stuck haunting the cellar for hundreds of years and we hope he got i hope he got to move on um yeah i guess the head too whatever happened whoever that was whoever that was there wasn't an explanation of why there's a ghost head yeah there was but like i'm not aware of someone that it's decapitated decapitated but i guess several people were murdered at this inn and multiple people reported seeing just a head so maybe that ghost was just playing a funny trick on them. He's like, wouldn't it be funny if it was just my head? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that does seem like some old time ghost humor, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Sure. Sure. That's, that's what ghosts find funny. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about the general Wayne in. I was surprised to learn about the more recent murder mm-hmm. and I'm slightly disappointed that it's closed. All right. Well, good one. Should we move on? Let's move on. So this was a murder. Yeah, the Paisley Hat. Paisley Hat is what they called called the segment. So in 1979, after raising three children and at the age of 41, Gretchen Burford decided to enroll in law school, which is really cool. Yeah, that like gives me hope for myself. Yeah, it's never <laughs> too late. Like, yeah, to pursue you know your next dream to become podcasters. Right, exactly. <laughs> So by 1984, Gretchen had a full-time practice in Palo Alto, California. She chose to specialize in criminal defense and juvenile law. 
They interviewed her daughter who said that justice was really important to her mother and that is why she was drawn to a career in defense law. She says that her mother wanted to help people who didn't start out in life with all the benefits that her children had. Um, So Gretchen really liked to help particularly people who weren't as privileged. So people who didn't have a lot of money for their defense, minority communities, those were the people. Yeah, um, she sounds like a really good person. Yeah, young people who were kind of had a bad start in life and were getting mixed up with the wrong crowds. Those were the kinds of people that she liked to help. Um, A family friend says that Gretchen put her heart and soul into defending people, not only just their legal defense, but she would also get involved in their personal lives. He said that she really cared for her clients. So that gives you an idea of what this lady was like. Now, what happened is on February 26, 1988, Gretchen was closing up her practice. It was a Friday night. Police aren't exactly sure what she did right after she left her office, but they used computer banking logs and eyewitness testimony to lay out the next 30 minutes. At 6.37, Gretchen deposited a check for $449 at a walk-up teller about four blocks from her office. Then they suspect that an unknown assailant ambushed her in her car. They believe that she left her car unlocked and that he got into the back seat. Um, some people they interviewed were saying how, she, how naive she was and how she didn't have good spatial awareness. It got a little victim blamey for a minute. I didn't really like that. Yeah, so that she looked at people very trustingly, as if that was a, a flaw. Right. <laughs> yeah. That she wasn't, I guess, more suspicious of minorities. Seemed to be. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Which, it's not like he came up and, like, sweet-talked her. He snuck into the back of her car. Yeah. So, and how do we... We don't actually know that she left her car unlocked. He could have... He had yeah. a giant butcher knife, we learned later. So he could have threatened her with the knife and got her into her car by force. And this is complete speculation at this point. They have no clue. No one witnessed her getting abducted. Right. But anyway, no one really knows what happened the following 20 minutes. Because the next record of her is at 7.02, about 25 minutes later. Gretchen and her abductor arrive at another bank about three miles away. So no one really knows what happened in that. Because it doesn't take 20 minutes to drive three miles. So no one is really sure what went on. Anyway, at the bank, she requested more cash than she was authorized to withdraw and the transaction was canceled. So they speculate that she may have been trying to discourage her abductor. He could have been forcing her to try and take out a specific amount. We don't actually know, but the driver in the car behind them saw a struggle going on inside the car. The driver's door opened briefly, but the man pulled her back inside. The car sped off, lost control and hit another vehicle. Then the driver's side door opened and Gretchen fell out. Witnesses say that she was screaming, he stabbed me, he stabbed me, help me. Two witnesses ran over. They said that they got a clear look at the killer, but he ran off and they went to Gretchen. She died almost instantly, according to this witness. He said that he, he tried to comfort her and to tell her that help was on the way, but she almost immediately passed. So... Officers on the scene immediately started processing the car. They found a paisley baseball hat that seemed out of place it's in the, the back seat. It's the ugliest fucking hat you've ever seen in your life. Jesus Christ. This I, is literally the ugliest hat. I have not. I was like, am I supposed <laughs> to believe anyone under seven years old was wearing this hat? It's. It was really ugly. They showed a picture of it. They later found out that it did not belong to Gretchen. No. No one was surprised by that. Or that no one would want to claim to own this hat because it was so god-awful. Yeah. So they believe that it was worn by the suspect on the night of the murder. The next day, authorities recovered the weapon a block from the scene. It was an eight-inch butcher knife. 
but it provided them no leads. The manufacturer of the hat revealed that only two stores in the area... Oh, this... <laughs> I'm reading from my notes that I wrote down. The manufacturer of the hat revealed that only two stores in the area stock ugly paisley baseball hats. <laughs> only two stores were foolish enough to order this. But all attempts to track down the hat's owner came up short. So that was the end of the segment. It's very sad. There was an update, though. The update said that after 20 years, DNA found in the paisley hat was matched to Tyrone Hamill, a convict serving time in a Texas prison. Hamill was sentenced to a second life term without the possibility of parole. I did a little bit extra research just to make sure this guy wasn't wrongfully convicted primarily. Yeah, could we not have a repeat of last week, please? That was extremely depressing. Yeah. So an article I read said that he confessed after his DNA was matched to the DNA in the hat and he pled guilty and he apologized profusely to Gretchen's family in his sentencing. Her two daughters read statements... At the trial, that sounded a lot like what was heard in Unsolved Mystery. Well, not at the trial because he pled guilty, but at the sentencing. Mm -hmm. Um, One of her daughters said, my mother could have helped you. She would have done her best to make sure that you didn't slip through the cracks. She believed that everyone's lives mattered no matter what they have done. Gretchen's daughters are also the reason why he didn't get the death penalty. Because he was in Texas where they had the death penalty. And they said that their mother didn't believe in the death penalty. And they basically worked with the district attorneys to That's actually get really him nice. another life sentence instead of life in prison. Yeah. And his apology actually seemed really genuine. It sounded like to me in the articles that I read that he was either or both uneducated or had a relatively low IQ, which may have attributed to his obviously troubled past. But yeah. um, he said that he wished he could trade his life for hers. And in response to Gretchen's children's Convincing the DA not to pursue the death penalty, Hamill said, I really don't understand in my wildest dreams how someone could show so much compassion. All I can say is thank you. So, wow, very sad all around. Yeah. Honestly, um, this woman, it's ironic that this woman dedicated her life after she'd already raised three children to helping people like this guy. You know, and he randomly picked her. Yeah, they, they did make a point on Unsolved Mysteries of saying that there was no reason to think this was connected with her work. Like, this wasn't... It, they didn't suspect someone that she knew. It was totally random. Totally, yeah. Which makes it more sad and ironic, because if he had done this to someone else and she was his defense attorney, she would have tried to help him. It doesn't seem like he was a cold-blooded killer, based on the two articles I read. He Not was already, that you should, you know, go around robbing people and, and forcing them, them to go to... <laughs> It's ATMs just, and stabbing them. It just but, feel like there. It felt like to me like he was on a bad path, and unfortunately, it, it crossed with hers. Yeah, he threw his life away, and a family and, lost a really wonderful woman, and it's just it's really really sad. So yeah, they, just a bummer. Just a, a bummer, bummer all around. Uh, you can look at the hat and laugh at it. But oh my god, than, that hat! But other than that, there's really. Yeah, Not just, much redeeming about this no. whole situation. I mean, I'm glad they figured out who did it eventually, but... It sounded like her daughters at least got closure. Yeah. You know, and they felt some sense of peace in how it turned out in the end. You know, he was legitimately remorseful, which doesn't bring your mo- mother back, but it is better than Something, someone who, I guess. you know, has no remorse and doesn't even have, you know, the guts to it's really nice that they kept their like mother's ethics in mind and and right they put aside you know i can't imagine how it would 
feel to have someone I love, my you know, my mother murdered. Yeah. You can imagine how despite maybe vengeance, you would think. Yeah, that they they knew what she would have wanted. I don't believe in, in the mind. death penalty. I can say that. Yeah, with yeah. conviction right now. But if my mother was killed by someone, I don't know how I'd feel. Oh right, but that's the fact that be they a, a very you're not going to have an intellectual response to that. You're going to have an emotional response to that, right. obviously. Right. And but, but they said, no, my mother wouldn't have wanted this. So yeah, that's really, he got life in prison. It's really good of them. Instead of the death penalty. So, yeah, that was that. Was that. You want to you wanna talk about Satanism now? Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> so, Son of Sam, part duh. Um, <laughs> the more I thought I, Everyone's about, been waiting for this moment no, all week. No, they have been, not. God, I can't wait I for can't the second part of that Son of Sam. to give us conflicting and confusing information about Son of Sam because she's poorly done her research. Are you convinced that it was the, the Son of Sam killings were carried out by a satanic cult? No. No, I am not. And the more <laughs> I have thought about this this week, the angrier I have gotten <laughs> that Unsolved Mysteries even included this. Okay, so their first, in segment one, they're one of the pieces of evidence that they're pointing to that points to there's multiple killers is the fact that these composite artist sketches look different. Except they don't really look that different. They just have wildly different hair. Three of them for sure. Like one looks vaguely like David Berkowitz. The other ones kind of don't, but they look the same to each other yes. in many ways. They're acting like, oh, these couldn't possibly be the same person. Except that they have vaguely the same face shape and vaguely the same nose. Mm-hmm. They just have very different hair. Well, witnesses to the Summer Sam shooting say that he's wearing a cheap wig. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, why would he have different <laughs> hair? There's no explanation. There's no explanation. <laughs> oh, clearly this is a satanic cult. And there's all, like, no, it's not. It's not. It's just David Berkowitz. The killings stopped after he was arrested. I wonder if that is proof of anything. <laughs> I really liked their pointing to, because in his notes, he had a, cr- a cryptic reference to 22 disciples of hell, but it's not like the rest of his note made perfect logical oh, sense. Oh, yeah. No. They it were trying all gibberish. Bat- I mean, gibberish. If you heard me read it last week, you know that it made basically zero sense. <laughs> Uh, so the fact they pulled out that sentence and was like, like look, look, there's 20, 22 proof. of them work together. No, no. <laughs> it was just the ramblings of a Robert man. Stack, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it made me so angry because our favorite witness, Tommy. Tommy Zeno comes Zeno, back for the sex. Yeah, which I guess he wasn't most valuable mustache last week. I think he should be most valuable mustache this week. I have another one <gasps> I like for it, but we'll we'll get oh, to it. Oh, okay. Anyway, he is one of the people that said he was clearly wearing a wig. So, yeah, anyway, he comes back to say that he's never thought it was Berkowitz, essentially because Berkowitz is too fat to run. Oh my god. I feel like I feel like I spoke with perhaps a little bit too much hyperbole last week <laughs> when talking about Son of Sam. Um, it wasn't... Police knew they had a serial killer before they received a letter. It wasn't literally until they received a letter. They okay. wouldn't have been referring to him as the 44 caliber killer if they didn't know right. there was okay. a killer. Yeah, I didn't put that together. It just took them a while because the killings are so generic and they're just people being shot in cars and there were so many shootings at the time that it took a few instances before it stood out that these were couples and they were in parked cars and blah 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 so it wasn't literally until there was a letter 
I think I said I kind of made it sound like the dog's name was Sam, but that's the neighbor's name. And the dog's name was Harvey, I think. Yes. And so son of Sam is like the dog of Sam, who is the guy. Yep. And about the parking ticket that gets called into Yonkers and then the dispatcher. This is the dispatcher's father is Sam and the dog is Harvey. So she's like, oh, that guy shot my dad's dog. It oh, okay. her dog. I understand. Okay. This now is so convoluted. It doesn't really matter, I guess. It doesn't matter because this whole segment was about the Satanism. Yeah, I just wanted to clear that up because I thought I spoke kind of flippantly and that... Some son of Sam experts are out there shaking their no. fist at their podcast. Uh, I app. just didn't want people to, to, to have the wrong information as I was ranting and raving about how dumb the son <laughs> of Sam case is and how boring it is. Oh okay, this goodness. is literally... Okay, for my notes for this, I just wrote, no, he acted alone. That was my first <laughs> note on this segment. There was... Some of the things... I mean, they at one point got this 15-year-old kid who went to the police and were like, there's a satanic cult operating in the park. I'm like, this kid is just fucking with you. They went to the scene <laughs> and they showed what they called very sophisticated graffiti. Yeah, that poorly drawn pentacle in a circle. Which, first of all, was right side up. So that's not <laughs> satanic. And also, it was not sophisticated at all. It was very horribly done. I feel like that's... If I tried to do graffiti right now, not knowing what I was doing, I could probably make that. So, just just to sum up, Son of Sam, he's really David Berkowitz, and there's not other murderers, and there's not a satanic cult, despite what this uh, segment of Unsolved Mysteries... This conspiracy theory is still around, though. He, he killed six people. He seriously wounded eight people. Okay, this segment goes really out of its way to prove that David Berkowitz was friends with John and Michael Carr, who were these known Satanists. And my known quote unquote, unquote, unquote known Satanists. Um, John Carr was found dead, possibly suicide, but possibly murder. I wrote on a question about that. Um, did they have any evidence? Because they immediately ruled it a suicide, and then they changed it to murder. But was it really just based on one person's statement? I think Because so. that's what they made it sound like in the show. They're like, this person came to us and was like, no, he was murdered, so we decided he was murdered. I, I Yeah. I mean, I guess they couldn't say definitively either way if it was murder or suicide. I think it's currently ruled as a suicide, but like well, suspicious if you're, circumstances. It's, I, yeah, it kind of seemed like if you were in the satanic cult camp that you believed it was a, a murder. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and if you were just a normal person, you were like, well, we couldn't tell. His brother, Michael Carr, died like a year later in a car accident, which people also insist is suspicious. I don't see how. <laughs> Um, but my point about all of this is even if these two people are Satanists and even if David Berkowitz knew them and was introduced to them at quote unquote a floating coven party, <laughs> that doesn't prove there's other killers. Like even if David Berkowitz is the biggest Satanist of all time and he woke up every day to do things that would please Satan, that doesn't <laughs> prove that there's other murderers. No, there was because there was really no evidence whatsoever yeah. that there were more than one person. I will say the reenactments in the segment were hilarious. Yeah. The one where they were doing a, supposedly these brothers were doing a satanic ritual in someone else's house, and he walked in on them. And, they and then like, they just They left. were like, oh, 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 sorry, sorry, dude, and then just like walked away. Yeah. So the, the person that was most convinced that there's more than one killer is this author, Maury Terry, 
Mm-hmm. Who wrote a book about it. Who wrote a book about so it. Go so go check that out from your local library. That's why he thinks that. I, he thought that the cult was the one that sent the letter and really orchestrated the crimes. I'm not seeing any evidence of that whatsoever. Um, yeah, he he... David Berkowitz made some satanic references in his crazy-ass letters that he wrote. He drew, like, a symbol on it. So the only two things that stood out to me as potentially fishy, which I'm sure can be explained, are that symbol, because apparently that was also found on one of the Carr brothers' Yeah, they had a notebook that had that symbol on it. Supposedly had that same symbol. And then all of the dead dogs. Yeah, so the park where supposedly some rituals were taking place, which this kid isn't the only witness to. I looked into that a little bit. There's a park in Yonkers that at one point had this really beautiful garden that has like a waterway and this like stone circle area, but it cost a lot to upkeep. So it's in the, you know, decades since it was built has sort of fallen into disrepair and supposedly was being used in the 70s and 80s that satanic groups were meeting and having rituals there and killing dogs and that lots of German shepherds were found. Specifically German shepherds. Specifically German shepherds. And I guess, was it the cars that bred German shepherds or was that someone else? I'm trying to remember because I listened to the last podcast in the left Son of Sam coverage two weeks ago now and they talked about that. I don't don't know. It's a good question. Look that up. I don't know. I don't have the time to Google it. (laughs) Yeah, we don't care. I mean... Did David Berkowitz kill some dogs? He, we know he shot at a dog. We know that serial killers often kill animals before yeah. they kill people. There's no, really no evidence linking these two things together no. other than people saying that no. they're and, connected because they suspect that they are. And even if David Berkowitz, you know, sadly killed some people's dogs, again, that doesn't prove that there's other killers. No. That seems like totally irrelevant there was a district attorney that had some doubts that he acted alone. <sighs> the yeah, fact of the matter is the killing stopped as soon as he was arrested. So Yeah, no one else has... I mean... There's nothing else connected. No other killings have been connected to this. David Berkowitz, apparently when he originally confessed, was very clear that he was the only person, that he could you know, recount his movements and when he shot whom, and blah, 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 that doesn't suggest that there was other people. He didn't introduce that theory until the 90s, which, if you listen to He was to just the, looking for attention. If you listen to the My Favorite Murder, where Karen talks about Son Sam, she said that she thinks he just got bored. Yeah, well, for sure. <laughs> He's in jail. Oh, here's a, here's a thing, if you've got too much time on your hands... So David Berkowitz had, yeah, Samantha knows what I'm going to say. David Berkowitz, of course, has found the Lord, as many people do, when they have very lengthy prison sentences and they're not going anywhere. And he has a website that Mm -hmm. you can go to, and Mm -hmm. it has his uh, testimony uh, to Christ. Uh... If you're interested in that, for some reason, it's weird. If you want to go be weirded out, If you want to go be weirded out, I stumbled upon this during my research and was like, (laughs) Uh, He refers to himself as now, brace yourselves, everyone, the son of hope. He's a murderer. (laughs) He's a murderer. (laughs) He's a murderer, people. Yeah. But where can you find this website? In case people want to go look at it. It's arise and something. Something. Let Let me look it up. Oh my goodness. You sent it to I me. I can't believe I forgot. Ariseandshine.org. Ari- that's what it is. 
Arise and shine. It kind of looks like he's on the Instagram dark eyebrow trend. Yeah, he likes that. He likes an Instagram brow. He's very bold. (laughs) He's going a little heavy on the brow. The official website for David Berkowitz, once son of Sam, now son of Hope, includes testimony and translations, video interviews, his apology, updates, insights, journaling, and more. You can read, yeah, his journals. You can read a letter he wrote to a Satanist telling them why they should embrace Jesus. <laughs> I read that. I wish I hadn't. <laughs> the, I was going to do more research on this, and I just got so frustrated because there's there's really no reason to believe, even if he was in a cult, there's no reason to believe there was other murderers. David Berkowitz was a lonely, angry man mm-hmm. who couldn't get a date. He hated, hated women and hated women, and he just took it out on them. Apparently, while he was in the armed forces, he was in Korea, and his first sexual experience was with a sex worker, and he got some sort of sexually transmitted infection, and never had sex again, and was extremely bitter about it. So... So he's a piece of shit. He's really an original men's right activist, (laughs) I would say. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's just a woman hater. him trying to blame the dog, him trying to blame Satanism, is him not taking accountability for the fact that he's a piece of shit. Yep. I mean, yeah. That's it. That's, that's the story, folks. That's the story. I thought, I felt bad for Satanists. I felt bad <laughs> that Robert Stack. <laughs> they were getting such a bad name. Yeah. I felt bad about the Satanic Panic and them always getting such a bad rap. So I wanted to give a little real information Ooh, about saying I like this. Let's hear so, it. So this is from, there's a couple different organizations that are satanic. Mm-hmm. This is from the Church of Satan, okay. which is, dates back to 1966. They consider themselves philosophical atheists. They okay. don't worship like a literal Satan who lives in hell, but um, it's the Church of Satan. These are their 11 satanic rules of the earth. And I have to say, I'm not sure I've ever related to anything more. All right. One, do not give opinions or advice unless you are asked. Everyone on the internet needs that to be their number one That's fucking solid. (laughs) Fucking solid. Okay. Two, do not tell your troubles to others unless you are sure they want to hear them. These are such, this is so, so practical. Fair. Yes. Three, when in another's lair, which I guess is home, (laughs) if you're a Satanist, in another's lair, show him respect or else do not go there. Yep. I'm on board. Fair. Absolutely. I might be a Satanist, you guys. No, I <laughs> I was reading this like I need to look more into this because I've never agreed with a philosophy I've seen as much as this ever. <laughs> Four, if a guest in, in your lair annoys you, treat him cruelly and without mercy. <laughs> yep. Love it. I'm going to put that on, pla- on a plaque and put it above my door. <laughs> yeah. If, if someone comes in, into your home and annoys you, yeah, be cruel. That's fine. Four, do not make sexual advances unless you are given the mating signal, which is a satanic way of saying... Get consent. Get consent. Which also, side note, that even back in 1966, the Church of Satan was fine with gay marriage and fine with transgender people. So Satanists, really ahead of the times. Yep. Okay. Six. Do not take that which does not belong to you unless it is a burden to the other person and he cries out to be relieved. Don't steal shit. Got it. Seven, acknowledge the power of magic if you have employed it successfully to obtain your desires. If you deny the power of magic after having called upon it with success, you will lose all that you have obtained. 
okay. I mean, I don't really so, have any magic. Sounds fine so, to me. I, yeah. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that rule. If you use magic, be thankful for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Eight. Do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself. Again, internet. <laughs> Listen Seriously. to these rules of Satanism. Nine. Do not harm little children. All right. So. That's great. Yeah. All these ideas that there's satanic ritual abuse. No. It's right there in their rules. Do not harm children. Ten. Do not kill non-human animals unless you are attacked or for your food. So this idea that you should be killing German shepherds in the park. No. Church of Satan says don't do that. This is my favorite one. Eleven. When you are walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he does not stop, destroy him. <laughs> I want that on like a t-shirt or a tattoo. Like, yeah. That's that's amazing. So I might be a Satanist is what I'm learning. Yeah, I think I might be. I also got some rules from the Satanic Temple. Okay. So the Satanic How does that differ from the Satanic, the Satanic Temple Church? is a newer organization and it mostly You've probably heard of it in the news because it often is filing lawsuits for religious freedom. So it's like countering the Christian right by saying. So they're the like the folks that will sue. So if like a, a state capital has yes. a Christian monument on their lawn. I'm they will say. Up, but you know what I mean. We would like to put up a satanic monument as well. If you get to put up the Ten Commandments, then we get to put up a satanic. Sure. And then people are like, wait, no, that's not the same. Except that it is. They right. recently, I think this just happened, won a case. Um, in Minnesota, right? I'm not sure. There was one in Minnesota. I might be wrong about that. I'll have to look it up. But um, where abortion restrictions were inf- inter- inf- interfering with a Satanist's religious freedom because they do not believe that life begins at conception. So mm-hmm. they counter. Oh, I just saw it in the news yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah, that's a new one. So that's the Satanic Temple. They are the ones that filed that lawsuit. So they say, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. The struggle for justice is ongoing and a necessary pursuit that should prevail over law, all laws and institutions. This is the one that I think comes up for a lot of these lawsuit cases. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. So... If someone wants to have an abortion, they should be allowed to have an abortion, right? The freedoms of other people should be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjustly croach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Beliefs that you should confirm to the best scientific understandings of the world. We should take care to never distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. People are fallible. If we make a mistake, we should do our best to rectify it and resolve any harm that it may have caused. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Nice. All very reasonable. Nothing about hurting children. Nothing about sacrificing goats. Nothing about, I don't know, working with the son of Sam. Right. So. By the way, I found in Belle Plaine, Minnesota, they're allowing a satanic monument to go up in a city park. Awesome. That a small small Minnesota town is getting a lot of attention for a satanic monument coming to their veterans park. The monument going up for the satanic temple, um, which and it describes what it looks like, is being built by a group of Satanists out of Massachusetts, and it will be the first satanic monument on public property in United in the United States history. The city is allowing the monument to be built 
after the group threatened to sue over another statue. It doesn't say what it was, but I'm assuming it was a Christian statue. City officials say the monument is finished, but they're still working on it. It's going to go up in an area they're calling the free speech zone. (laughs) But of course, the only people interviewed for this article are people that disagree with it. So, If you're a Satanist and listen to the show, we would love to hear from you, your thoughts on this. I hope that I have done a little bit to rectify the uh, satanic panic brought forth by Unsolved Mysteries. I'm... Dude, I might be a Satanist. Those rules sound so practical. I mean, I'm just going to read number 11 because, again, because it's so good. Read it again. Yeah. When walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he does not stop, destroy him. Which I is love it. the best response to, like, that catcalling does... ever, right? Yeah. Like, that also I will destroy you. With the story we heard on our ghost tour where that woman's last words were, I will haunt you for the rest of your days. Yeah. Uh, like, that's going to be my motto in life, what you just read. And then my motto in death is... <laughs> I will haunt you for the rest of your... Those are the best last words. Yeah. Power to her. Yep. And then she did, so... She did, yeah. She followed... People see her ghost all the time. Mm-hmm. Great. All right, that, Great. Was Son of, that was Son of Sam Part 2. Great reporting on and that And Samantha and I might be Satanists. So if you, might right. be, if you might be a Satanist, too... We're on a journey. Get in touch. <laughs> We're on a journey of self-discovery yeah. with this podcast. Yeah. It's just brought us to even, you know, it's still fairly new, but it's already brought us to things that I was not expecting. Yeah, and right. I love it. So we have one more mystery in this episode. This is a missing persons case, and here is what happened. 71-year-old Robert Heron is one of the wealthiest men in Mississippi, or he was. He's since died. He lived in Jackson with his wife, Annie Laurie Heron. Annie was beloved by her family and community. She was active in civic activities in Jackson. They had been married for 48 years. On July 26, Annie Laurie Heron was kidnapped. 12 days later, Robert Heron holds a press conference that I skipped over on my rewatch because it literally broke my heart the first time. And I remembered how I felt. So if you're watching this episode, be prepared. It's just an old man who's very sad about his missing wife. And yeah, I didn't want to watch it again. Robert's kids described how hard it was, how hard this was on him and the family. The kidnapping was unique because the kidnapper didn't demand a ransom. Instead, he named very 12 odd. people he felt were owed money by one of Robert Heron's companies, but it didn't explain how much money or what they were owed or who specifically he needed to give it to. Um, anyway, this is the events as it was described in Unsolved Mysteries. Robert came home one day and was alarmed to find that his wife was not there. He checked with friends and family, but no one had seen her, so he called the police. Shortly thereafter, they discovered a note left by the front door. This isn't totally how it went down, the way they described in Unsolved Mysteries. She had hosted a bridge event earlier in the day, and when he got home, her car was in the driveway. Then he expected her to be there, but she wasn't, so he checked in with her friends and family. There was also blood splatters, not splatters, there was blood droplets and like a blood smear around where they found the note. So it seemed a lot more strange. This almost had me thinking when I was watching it in Unsolved Mysteries that Robert had done it. Yeah, I say I thought that too. In Unsolved Mysteries, there was really no evidence of a struggle or anything, but that's actually not true. There was blood, okay. her, which they blood typed to her, and then this note. I yeah, because I wrote down, do we think the husband faked it? Yeah. So yeah, okay. Unsolved Mysteries strangely left that stuff out. The note said, "Do not call police," but of course he had already done that. And upon arrival at the scene, police are informed that it was a kidnapping kidnapping, and it was connected in some way to Robert Heron's business dealings. In the reenactment, the police are shown passing around the note in their bare hands. Don't know if that's how it actually went down, but... Let's hope not. 
The note's demands were vague, but mentioned several individuals who were allegedly harmed by a company when Robert Heron was its president. The company in question was School Pictures, a company that sells franchises to photographers across the U.S. The franchises go into schools and take portraits of school children. So if you remember in school, standing in line to get your picture taken, that might have been um, a franchise from this company called School Pictures. Robert Stack tells us that between 1981 and 1983, in an effort to collect outstanding debts, School, pictured file, school Pictures filed lawsuits against 12 franchise owners in eight different states, including Florida. On the day of the kidnapping, neighbors reported seeing two vehicles that seemed out of place in the neighborhood. One was a pickup truck and the other was a white van. The van had Florida plates. So, of course, the 12 people listed on the note were the 12 people who had been sued by School Pictures. They said that the names of these people were readily available to the public through county court records, so the kidnapping didn't necessarily need to be carried out by one of them. I thought that was a little silly to assume that, because I guess you're trying to keep your options open, but... But who else would care? Exactly. Yeah. Or go to the, to the trouble. I don't know. It seemed a little strange, but I guess they were keeping an open mind about who could have done it, especially since no specific ransom was demanded. Robert's son said that they wanted to pay whatever the kidnapper wanted, so they sent letters to the 12 people in an effort to determine what they wanted. Most people didn't respond, but the few people who did said, we don't want anything. So it didn't really seem like the 12 people were in cahoots or anything. Then eight days after they held the press conference I mentioned earlier, Robert received a, another letter. He recognized the handwriting because it belonged to his wife, and the letter pleaded with Robert to comply with the demands of the kidnapper. But the letter was still vague and didn't really ask for anything. We're just... So frustrating. Extremely frustrating, especially since they're like, we'll pay this. So what they did was that they they sent checks to everyone on the list, and it totaled nearly $1 million. They were so desperate to get her back, they just sent out checks. I assume for the same settlement amount, they're like, here, have your money back. Just return our wife and mother. Half of the checks were returned. Right, because the person was like, you don't actually owe me this. Exactly. I mean, I would have cashed it. I was surprised to hear that so many of them, so six people sent their checks back, which is actually kind of remarkable to me. Four months passed, and there was never another communication, and that's where the the segment ended. So sad. They did have an update, and the update said, last month, Newton Alfred Wynn, a 65-year-old lawyer, was arrested by the FBI in Florida on charges relating to the abduction. Wynn was one of the 12 people named in the ransom, Also, less than a month before the killing, he purchased a van matching the description of the vehicle neighbors saw on the day of the abduction. A woman told the FBI that Wim had promised her $500 to travel from Florida to Atlanta, Georgia, to mail a letter for him just 16 days after Annie was kidnapped. He handed her a manila envelope, and inside was the letter wrapped in a gray linen napkin. Wim instructed her not to look or touch it, but of course she did. So she was able to see the address, and she was also able to identify the letter from a photograph um, of the one that Robert Heron received. So he was convicted of conspiracy to kidnap, extortion by mail, and perjury. He was sentenced to 19 years and seven months, and he eventually got out. No one was ever convicted of the kidnapping. Hmm. Just con- He was convicted of conspiracy to kidnap, Interesting. and a okay. few accomplices were given immunity in exchange for test- testifying against him. Um, so I did kind of look it up and I didn't find much more than what was stated other than what I said before, which there was evidence at the scene. The letters were full apparently of misspellings 
and hmm. grammatical errors, and they were just kind of weird. One of them I actually found the text of. Actually, I think I found the text of both of them. This is the first one. It said, Mr. Robert Heron, put these people back in the shape they was before they got mixed up with school pictures. Pay them whatever damages they want and tell them all this so they can know, spelled N-O, what you are doing, but don't tell them why you are doing it. That was one long sentence. Okay. Do this before 10 days pass. Don't call police. That was the first note. Yeah, it was a really weird and ransom note. Yeah. The se- so I guess that's why they sent out letters that was like, what do you want? And people were like, nothing. Nothing. Quit bothering us. The second one said, Bob, if you don't do what these people want you to do, they are going to seal me up in the cellar of this house uh-huh. with only a few jugs of water. Please save me, Annie Laurie. That's heartbreaking. Yep. And... Wynn was apprehended in March 1989, apparently returned his portion of the funds to Robert. So apparently he was one of the ones who returned the money, which is weird. To throw suspicion off of him, but then why do it at all? I know. Robert offered a reward for information leading to Annie Laurie's recovery in September 1988. Her case was also featured on Unsolved Mysteries. The episode generated numerous tips regarding Annie Laurie's abduction, including one from an anonymous caller who told authorities to continue investigating Wynn. So Unsolved Mysteries kind of helped solve it. In 1990, Wynn was convicted of conspiracy to commit kidnapping, extortion, and perjury in connection with Annie Laurie's case. Two accomplices received immunity in return for their testimony against him at trial. He received a prison sentence of 19 years. Wynn, who maintains his innocence in this case, was released from prison in 2006. No one was ever charged with committing the actual kidnapping. Robert died after a heart attack in 1990. Annie Laurie was declared legally dead in 1991. She continues to be remembered by the Jackson Art Society, and several events take place in her honor annually. The Discovery Channel's program, FBI Files, featured her disappearance in a December 2001 episode entitled Vanished. One of the series' producers said that he believed Annie Laurie's remains may have been disposed between the Texas Panhandle and Louisiana, her case is open and remains unsolved. Oh, so that's very sad. Yeah, that was very sad. It was very sad. It was sad that this sweet old man who was married to his wife for 48 years, yeah. and really, he was just the president of this company, and these people legitimately owed the company money. Right. And this crazy guy kidnapped his wife. And then and sent the money her. back. And then sent the money back. Like, it was a senseless crime, yeah. and it left... A family without a mother, and yeah, it was very sad. So, I mean, it seems like a kidnapping gone wrong, except that the demands were so vague. There's almost no way for it to go right. The demands were vague, and they, the what little they could surmise from the demands, they carried out. They carried out. And, and they still killed her. Still, she didn't. Yeah. So that's really horrible, and it seems like they made her write a note sometime right. later. So they kept, they held her for a while, and then. Well, maybe we'll never know what really happened. It's quite sad. But, it, I mean, the case is still open, so to the investigator's credit. You yeah. Know. I hope. But uh. That's the episode, so should we rate it? Yes. Yes. And Our, I want to know, I'm very curious to know who your pick for Most of I Open Mustache is. But. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. So, first category is mysteriousness. I thought it was pretty mysterious. I thought the ghosts, the huh. witnesses to yeah. the ghosts were pretty credible. That was mysterious. Son of Sam, of course, not mysterious at all. No. So that brings it but down a little. your kidnapping is very mysterious. The Paisley hat was actually pretty mysterious. Mm-hmm. Wasn't solved until the update. The mystery why anyone would wear that hat was never solved. I'm going to give it a hesitant thumbs up. I would for, agree with that. For yeah, yeah. It gets knocked down a little bit for Son of Sam. But How it's, could it not? It's fairly mysterious. 
The reenactments is our next category, which I quite enjoyed. Hell to the yes. Thumbs up. <laughs> the satanic rituals were, I mean, it's worth listening or watching that segment <laughs> just for that. True. Because the one, the rituals that they reenacted in the forest, everyone was wearing white and chanting. Looked fun. Looked fun. Looked fun. The one where the guy walked in on the Carr brothers killing a chicken, and they were like, "House," and then was like, "Uh, gotta go." (laughs) They were like, "Sorry, dude, we'll we'll leave." And he was like, "All right, you're gonna clean this up," and they just sort of like ran off. (laughs) So weird. So funny. The ghost reenactment, especially the headless one, super funny. Ghost head. Ghost head. My two segments were sad, so those reenactments were. I'm still gonna give it a thumbs up. I'm a thumbs up for those two segments because you have Satan plus ghosts. That equals a thumbs up. That's my kind of math. (laughs) What did you think of the fashion in the show? I mean, the hat. <laughs> the hat. We, I mean, can is the hat carrying this this category alone? I can't even think of anything else. No, nothing else stood out to me. I'm so, a, a thumb sideways. Sideways. But yeah, no, it can't be a thumbs down because the hat was... Because <laughs> oh the hat's God. so awful. If you owned a hat like that, please send us a photo. Oh, yeah, or if you have like a photo, a family photo, and your uncle uh-huh. is wearing a hat like that, we want to see it. So MVM, I picked Terry Gardner, the ex-lieutenant sheriff's deputy, from the last segment. Oh. Or was it the... It was one of my segments. I can, no, I can't remember which one it was. But he had a mustache that curved down... In a way, like around the mouth. It rode the frown. Is that what you're saying? He didn't have a frown, though. It was like <laughs> it was like the guy who had the frown mustache, but without the frown. Okay. I'll put a picture on Instagram. Okay. My pick is Tommy Zeno. Tommy Zeno. Witness. True New Yorker. I'll post them both on Instagram. Tommy, Tommy can, Zeno. People can duke it out. Because I think the volcano mustache won last week, so. Hands down. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Based on my beautiful drawing. Our last category is Robert Stack's outfits. Boring. Which were so-so. Boring. Yeah, boring. Yeah, nothing, Thumbs down Nothing that. stood out for that, on that one for me either. Um, now let's rate both episodes together. Okay, I thought this episode was better than last week's episode. I agree. You get more mysteries. Mm-hmm. More bang um, for your buck. The ghost settlement was pretty good. Both of yours were pretty mysterious. I'm like a... Th- a th- I'm torn between like a three and a three and a half Robert Stacks. Yeah, I would I'm say three really... Robert Stacks. Yeah. The Son of Sam one, it honestly is like frustrating to me <laughs> because there was just nothing there. If you were We're just t- watching it and not forced to like do research on it like Liz was, you'd probably enjoy it more. Yeah, that's probably true. But it's still like, we're talking about a minute and a half of someone walking <laughs> to a car and a guy that was known to wear wigs. Like though... <laughs> That is your evidence. Like, where did this minute and a half go, and why does he look different in these drawings when we know he was wearing wigs? And was it Satan? No, it wasn't. <laughs> so it's just kind of frustrating. Three rubber stacks? Three out of five? I would give it three. All right, we're, we're solid on three out, of, three out of five rubber stacks. Yeah, we'll give them both three. We, I feel like that's a little rounding up from last week, yeah. but <laughs> this one was this week was better. It was. I, I really prefer getting the four mysteries. Yeah, I'm, me too. I'm realizing if it's just three, it seems a little bit lackluster. Yep. So that's it for our episode. Do you have a recommendation for our listeners? I do. And now I wish I had picked a more like uplifting recommendation okay. <laughs> because that last case was sad and my recommendation is sad. Well, let's hear it. But we just passed the 19th anniversary of the death of Matthew Shepard. Okay. Yep. Which. Oh, so <laughs> well, talk, this one is going to be talk sad. A little bit about that. Um, yeah. So he was murdered on October 6th, 1998, mm-hmm. which is shocking to me that that was 19 years ago because I distinctly <laughs> remember when this happened. 
I had helped form a GSA at my high school, oh. which was pretty controversial at the time, particularly because I went to a very Christian-y, horrible <laughs> high school, <laughs> and people were not so happy about there being a GSA. Um, so it hit us all really hard, this idea that yeah. you could be murdered by strangers just because they perceive you to be gay, even, like, really whether you are or not, but obviously if you are, the risk is higher. Is higher. Um, if you're not familiar with the case, you know, it's a sad one. He was a student from the University of Wyoming. He was beaten and tortured and left to die near Laramie. The two perpetrators were convicted. Thank goodness. They're still in jail. Uh, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson um, they tried to use a gay panic defense at the trial. Yeah. The idea being that they were going to merely rob him. But then he made a pass at them and they freaked out and murdered him. Which, despite that being completely despicable, also makes no sense. Yeah. Who, while getting robbed, then like propositioned someone? <laughs> Which was the idea, mm-hmm. right? That they were mugging him and then he was like, but how about some sex? And then they were like, no, and like, no, that's not what happened. They yeah. just killed him because he was gay. So it's really horrible. It's something that I think about a lot. And yeah, I can't believe that that was already 19 years ago. My recommendation is the Matthew Shepard Foundation, oh. which is a nonprofit run by his mother and his memory. Okay. They, she does public speaking engagements. They run a website with resources for teens. It's a small charity, so I feel like your money will go further, if that makes sense. That yeah. even if you can throw like 10, 20 bucks their way, that really will make a difference. She has been very active, is an LGBT advocate, and was actually pretty influential in getting some hate crime legislation signed by Obama in 2009, which is commonly referred to as the Matthew Shepard Act. So yeah, if you have, if you can like, I don't know, skip a lunch at Panera and send the money over to the Matthew Shepard Foundation and his memory since it is October. I'm sorry that that's not a palate cleanser (laughs) at all after our other cases, but I do think it's a good thing to do. Well, I also, so if you're younger than us or if you're just not very familiar with with this, this case, I just looked it up and the documentary Matthew Shepard is a friend of mine is on Netflix right now. Oh, okay. I remember watching that documentary in a film, a film class in college and crying. With, along it's, with the rest of the class. It's very tragic. It's difficult to watch. There's another documentary called um, The Matthew Shepard, Matthew Shepard Story. Um, I don't know if you can get that. I don't know if that one's available anywhere. But it's an important thing to know about. And yeah. I highly recommend the documentaries that are extremely well done. Um, check it out. And then, like Liz said, maybe give your coffee money to, for the week to, to the foundation. Yeah. I, I, I think his mom has been pretty instrumental on having some good come out of his tragic death but Mm -hmm. I would like to see that continue and I think that it sort of was a a turning point in how this country was talking about gay rights in a way Mm -hmm. um so it's also something you can look back on and see that we have made some progress (laughs) I like at least where I was in Wheaton, Illinois in 1988, we were not talking about gay marriage. We were yeah. not talking about, we were talking about whether or not people should be rounded up and like sent to conversion camps. 
It was like, should gay people be allowed to live? And I was saying yes, and people were arguing with me. That was my high school experience. (laughs) We have actually come A a long way from that in the past 19 years, but not far enough, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you have some spare change, send it along to the Matthew Shepard Foundation. That's my recommendation That's for the week. That's a great recommendation, Liz. It's a sad recommendation, but I think a good one. It'll make you feel good to contribute yeah. to that cause. Yeah. So, well, my recommendation is not at all like that. Good. It's a book. <laughs> I'm actually glad. Let's end on a happier note. <laughs> it's a book that I've been really enjoying lately. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's called The Wolf Road by Beth Lewis. Oh. It's not an obscure book or anything. I saw it on a, a list, um, which, on a side, and another recommendation, if you're like me and you have trouble picking out your next book, I highly recommend subscribing to The Thread newsletter from huh, Minnesota okay. Public Radio. They send it out. I don't know if it's weekly. Um, I look at it as a, it goes to my work email, so I look at it when I have time. But they have a lot of articles, and this is a good time of the year to subscribe to it because they have, like, the best of article, you know, best of the year, you know, best sci-fi novels of the year, best whatever of the year lists. So I've always, I found good, good books through that. They're also sort of seasonal sometimes. So the last one I read had an article about books about haunted houses. Okay, cool. So I found this book recommended in one of those lists. It was kind of, I'm a little confused about the list it was on because it was on a list of sci-fi and fantasy novels which it's that's not where i would put this book at all okay it's actually a post-apocalyptic psychological thriller and i'll read you the description Mm -hmm. narrated by a young girl who has just learned that her adoptive father may be a serial killer and that she may be his next victim everything elka knows of the world she learned from the man she calls father The solitary hunter who took her under his wing when she was just seven years old, he has taught her how to shoot, track, set snares, and start fires. All the skills she needs to survive in a frozen, lawless land where civilization has been destroyed and men are at the mercy of the elements and each other. But the man Elka thought she knew so well is harboring a terrible secret. He's a killer, a monster. And now that Elka knows the truth, she too is in danger. Armed with nothing but her knife and the survival skills he's taught her, Elka makes her escape and sets out on a journey to the frozen north in the hope of finding her long-lost parents. But judging by the trail of blood and bodies dodging her footsteps, Daddy won't be letting his little girl go without a fight. If Elka's going to survive, she'll have to turn and confront not just him, but the truth about what he's turned her into. Ooh, that's I'm really great. enjoying this book for a number of reasons. Um, it has a really strong female protagonist. Nice. Which I really like. And she's strong in a way that's real, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not like it's a, cartoony. Like a caricature of like a superhero yeah. almost. Yeah. Um, you, she has flaws. She makes mistakes. You see her grow throughout the book. I'm a little over halfway done. I'm also recommending it because if you listen to audiobooks like me, the narrator is amazing. It's narrated by Amy McFadden. And the voice she uses for Elka, the main character, is so spot on how I would imagine her talking. It's incredible. And she does voices, which I normally don't like, but they're subtle. Just like enough that you can tell when each character is talking, but not enough that it sounds like comical. It's really good if you like post-apocalyptic, if you like thrillers. So far, there hasn't been romance, which I like, because I hate books that have romances in them. <laughs> um, it's, really, it's really good. Samantha recommends this book for having zero romance. Exactly. Yeah. It's really good. Love it. My favorite part about this book, it's post-apocalyptic, like I said, 
um, is that the characters refer to the fall of the government as the damn stupid, which is henceforth how I'm going to refer to ah! this, this last election and the next couple of years. <laughs> Amazing. This is the damn stupid. It's a really good book. I'm really enjoying it. If you want to just escape into fantasy land, it's incredible. I'm it's somehow li- even worse than the time we're living in. I'm not done with it yet, so if it ends up kind of being a suck bomb at the end, I'll give you an update next week. But I don't think it's gonna. <laughs> I'm really liking it. I wanted to recommend it. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's it. That's mine. Okay. I'm just gonna add, I think I forgot to say, Matthew Shepard Foundation is MatthewShepard.org. Oh, great. If you wanted to go to the website. Well, hi, Lenny Briscoe. Oh, hi, Lenny Briscoe. Burst through. That's okay. Hi, buddy. I think the real Lenny Briscoe would have knocked, but whatever. <laughs> He's here for the end of the show. Okay. Uh, I think that's it, that's folks. That's it. Thank you so much for your support, and thanks for listening. Follow and us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Perhaps it's you. You can send us an email at perhapsitsyoupodcast at gmail.com. If you've got a spooky Rate. story, if you oh, solved a mystery. A, send it our way. Yeah. Anything like that. Give us a review if you feel like it on iTunes. Five out of five Robert Snacks. We appreciate it. Yeah, only five-star reviews. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll see you next get week. Get out there and solve some damn mysteries. Do it. Bye. Bye.